Welcome everybody. This is Donna Gates with Body Ecology and I'm here with a really good friend, Dr. Suzanne Bennett. Uh, we are actually doing this podcast in the time of COVID-19. And, you know, the media has been telling all of us that what we have to do is wash our hands, don't touch our face, definitely wear a mask and stay at least six feet away from people. But Suzanne and I were talking, Dr. Suzanne Bennett, who I'll have her, let her tell you more about herself, but we were talking not too long ago and we said they are missing the most important piece of information that everybody needs to know. So we decided to do this podcast. And so um, what is this missing piece of information that you absolutely must know to survive this time and, and other, many other times in the future when uh, we're going to have more viruses coming down the pike? So that's what this is all about. And I'd like to um, say welcome, Suzanne. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you so much, Donna. Love being here. You and I have the most amazing conversations. And, and for, for us, it's really about natural medicine, isn't it? Uh, how can nature be our best friend? So thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thank you. And the other thing that we have in common is that you are, and your ancestry is Korean, and you're a big fan, and I mean, very devoted to Korean kimchi and have written the best book out there. I would love it if people, while we're talking, even go to Amazon and look it up or go ahead and purchase it because it's a great, great book with recipes and beautiful pictures and, and tons of research on the importance of fermented foods and, and uh, well, about kimchi because really most of the, you know, the fermented vegetables, I want us to go into the difference so people aren't confused. Like how's kimchi different from fermented vegetables or sauerkraut? And then also, um, you know, there's more research done, I think, on kimchi than on fermented vegetables because quite a while back, maybe 10 years ago or so, the Korean uh, something was published on kimchi and how good it was for you. And then I think the Korean uh, researchers have done a lot more research on kimchi, kimchi since then. But so let's start off and let's talk about um, the first question is, what is kimchi versus sauerkraut versus what I call fermented or cultured vegetables? Uh, culture of vegetables, fermented foods from different cultures all around the world. And it all depends on when they started uh, making it. It really had to do with thousands of years ago. And I think kimchi is about uh, 13 to 1500 years old. And what they find that found is that uh, way back when, when we didn't have any refrigeration, and these are different cultures. I'm not just talking about Korea. I'm talking about in different areas in Europe and in um, Asia and in Africa, many different countries. They have their own indigenous foods and they have their own fermented foods. And uh, I know that at least with Koreans, because I, I became a kimchiologist doing a lot of research on kimchi for my book, The Kimchi Diet. And I found that, you know what? It all had to do with the fact is during the winter time uh, in Korea, from like November all the way up until March, April, sometimes even May, there's not a lot of veg vegetation in the winter time because of the fact that it, we had ice cold below zero and everything was um, under snow. So uh, thousands of years ago, Kim, the Korean people figured out a way to brine using salt, vegetables around October, right when uh, November started, 
and they found that when they brine it and they mix it with different types of ingredients, you can, it'll last longer. And what they did was they would ferment it, bacteria would grow. They didn't know back then it was bacteria, but they knew that it would ripen. The taste would change over time, over the weeks and over the months. And what they would do is they put these big earthen, earthenware uh, ceramic pots into the ground and they dig up a hole, they put the pot in and they fill it up with the vegetables that they, they make. They top it off with it with it on top and over the months they can eat that vegetable and survive and have all the nutrition necessary for those four to six months of, of ice cold weather. That was that's really what happened with all different countries, I believe. You know, whether it's the yogurts or or different types of vegetables like sauerkraut in the Germany area, you know, all those, um, I believe Romania, they've got their own type of sauerkraut, um, Austria, all of those, those areas, they would use different forms of veg vegetables, create ferment, ferment it, and they have their own way of fermenting, you know? Koreans have our own way. We, we brine a lot with salt first for specific reasons. I can talk about it later on in, the, in our talk. But um, having, that, uh, having said that, there's different types of food that they use. You can, you can actually ferment fish. You can ferment uh, beef, meat, um, dairy products. You know, so we all know that there's different forms and then um, there's different types of ferments like liquid juices, right? Drinks, kombucha is a ferment um, as well. If you think about it, alcohol is part of a fermentation process. Yeah, wine and beer too, definitely. And then they're not all good by the way. So, okay, so let's talk about um, the difference then between uh, kimchi. How does it, you know, I'm always fermenting fermented vegetables and kimchi is to me spicier and prepared in a different kind of way, um, we're going to go into a little bit more showing people, a little bit later we're going to show people more about how easy it is to prepare them. But um, is there anything in general you can say about what makes kimchi kimchi? Sure. Um, the difference, a lot of people look at kimchi as like the spicy sauerkraut, right? Because mm -hmm. they have cabbage, both have cabbage, uh, both might have certain types of ingredients that might be similar, but I will tell you the differences. The differences between kimchi and sauerkraut is that the acidity, sauerkraut is much more acidic. Sauerkraut takes more than, you know, three to four weeks to make and, and ripen, ripen. Usually they say you ferment it for three to four weeks. Some people, you can make it a little shorter period of time. Kimchi ferments in within a day to two days and you start eating it right away. That's a very big, big plus. You don't have to wait for the kimchi. You can, you can ferment it. And what that means by fermentation is that you are putting a substrate, which is a vegetable, some forms of carbohydrates. And usually the vegetable has some types of fermentable carbohydrate in it. For instance, we're very familiar with kimchi that is Napa cabbage. Napa cabbage is very high in fermentable carbohydrates. It's actually the one in my kimchi diet, I go through four phases. But I, I don't ask people to make that right away because fermentable carbohydrates can cause you gas and bloating. For instance, beans can do it. So could um, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, and cabbage. It can cause a lot of gas and bloating because the bacteria in your gut wants to eat it and creates gas. I mean, that's basically it. But if you've got a healthy, robust microbiome because you started to seed it properly with the right types of kimchi as you're going along over several weeks, then the Napa cabbage won't bother you. But I'm talking about the Napa cabbage because um, it's very similar to 
the cabbage that's used in the regular round cabbage that's used in, in sauerkraut. Another different thing about uh, kimchi is that it has, the, the acidity is not as low. Sauerkraut is a, a, a little bit lower. Uh, the acidity um, is the pH, and I'm gonna talk about pH, is about between 3.5 to 4.5. That's the acidity of kimchi. Sauerkraut could be even lower than that, between 2.5 to 3, maybe even, maybe I'll go to 3.5. That's why it's a very sharper, uh, more acidic tasting. Sauerkraut is a little bit sharper and more sour, and that's because of the acidity as well. Um, kimchi also has red pepper in it, which is a wonderful uh, side sub-ingredient. And the reason why Koreans, I think about three, 400 years ago, when the red pepper came into the country, they added um, the red pepper way back when thousands of years ago, they didn't have red pepper. And this is red pepper, which is spicy red pepper with the capsaicin in it and all that. And what they found was that the, the uh, kimchi scientists found that red pepper slows down the fermentation. So it'll last longer. So if you use red pepper, it may last, a kimchi may last for five, six months rather than two to three months like sauerkraut. Um, what else? Oh. Kimchi, which is really neat, is that it has carbonation in it. Sauerkraut does not. Carbonation means if you open it up, you might find lots of bubbles and it's very um, titillating and effervescent on your tongue when you're eating it. It's really cool. Well, what is carbon dioxide? Again, that is one of the responses in fermentation, in sugar breakdown, um, as well as there's many other lactic acid, uh, propionic acids. They've got malic acids, mannitol, um, uh, acetic acid, there's very different types of uh, organic acids, which is actually a, be a benefit of why kimchi is so healthy. But I believe that kimchi and sauerkraut are healthy in of its own right. Kimchi has different types of ingredients, such as ginger, which is a super anti-inflammatory agent, antioxidant, very good for heart health. Uh, same thing with uh, uh, garlic, uh, you put green onions in, in um, kimchi as well. And so there's different ingredients per each uh, um, fermented foods, and that's the benefit. And just to let you know, each ingredient, whether it's ginger, garlic, or in sauerkraut, you might put dill in there, you might put cucumber in there. Um, each ingredient has its own microflora. And what I mean by that is that it's grown on or in earth, and even if you wash it, there's still remnants of that bacteria, those good bacteria and yeasts even in that soil that's on that vegetable. And once that goes into the, the um, uh, kimchi um, and all the different ingredients as well as sauerkraut, whatever ferment you're making, if it's veg vegetation, all of those micro, uh, micro you know, bacterias and all the, the microbes will create its unique kimchi flavor, sauerkraut flavor, pickle flavor, um, even garlic, you know, pickled garlics. And I pickle, I even pickle, um, not pickle, but ferment um, uh, uh, jalapeno peppers. I mean, all sorts. So remember, you get, that's the beauty. That's the magic of fermentation because each food has its own microflora. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to I'll just add to what Suzanne said that sauerkraut usually is just cabbage that's been fermented or maybe cabbage and garlic. Years ago, when I started teaching Americans about fermented foods, because we didn't have them over here, um, you know, there were no fermented vegetables, people would go into the store and they'd buy this jar of said sauerkraut, but it would have 
vinegar in it and what was basically dead. It didn't have good live bacteria in it. So I changed the name and started seeing fermented vegetables or cultured vegetables. And both those terms have stuck over all these, what, 25 years or so. But the thing is, um, when I, the other thing I like about the idea of fermented vegetables is we don't just use cabbage or cabbage and garlic. One of my favorite recipes is cabbage and carrots and garlic and ginger. Very simple, basic recipe that everybody seems to love. Uh, so there's so many vegetables that you can put together. Um, you know, fennel is a really nice, um, so I'll put in onions. There's, I have a bunch of recipes over the years that are really delicious and, you know, and they all have a variety. So just as Suzanne said, if you go out into the field and pick yourself three heads of cabbage, then you go over and get some carrots and maybe some daikon and uh, grab some garlic and everything. And you bring them in every single garlic, like, you know, bulb of garlic and every cabbage, they had their own unique microbiome growing on them for whatever months you pick them, you're bringing in that unique microbiome and fermenting that and growing that out and multiplying it. And what's special about that is this incredible diversity. Now, I think probiotic supplements can be very beneficial. Um, the type of uh, fermented foods we're talking about that we're recommending tend to be rich in lactic acid bacteria. So I'm a big fan of adding bifidus bacteria because it's you know a really another really important bacteria. But the diversity is key. And after scientists began looking at the gut, looking at the microbes, they realized you know no one bacteria by itself is going to do the job. It's really the diversity, a hearty. Uh, inner ecosystem in the gut, which is really where your immune system comes from, is all about diversity. And that's what you get in these fermented foods. So to me, that's the number one benefit for, um, for eating them. But Suzanne, what are some other benefits that pop into your mind you know, for right, just I adding them to your diet? About, oh, I just want to share about the diversity of fermented foods. Now, being that I'm a, I'm, I'm a kimchi expert, right? I know about the kimchi diversity of the microflora there. They have found over 900 different species, 900 different species. Now, if you go to a probiotic, get a you know, bottle, if you're lucky, you get 12. You, know, if you might get 24 if you go to a doctor and they give you a special kind. But I'm telling you, the diversity, 900 different species, which is phenomenal. But on top of that, it's the volume of the amount and density of the bacteria in the small amount of, of kimchi. So if you eat, let's say, a tablespoon of kimchi, right? Or if you do it a tablespoon- And that's a day, all you need, really. A spoonful with your meal day, is all you really need. It could be in like 25 billion, right? That's not a lot to me because I probably eat about 300 billion CFUs, colony forming units per day, if not more. I probably mm -hmm. have a bit more. Today I did. I literally had the, my, the last bit of my cucumber kimchi and I drank the juice and with the juice is like, Oh, it's the, the, my favorite part because there's so much bacteria in it. And, uh, and delicious one, too. And I'm delicious. just like you. I love the juice and I definitely oh, yeah. get more than a serving. I don't exactly. do a tablespoon a day. I'm, you, you know, by the way, they become addictive. They're very sour. And at first, if you're eating sweets all the time, they seem extremely sour. In days, you'll start to feel like this meal feels dead. So I need my 
fermented foods or my kimchi added to it. Right. So uh, with that being said, um, with all the, the bacteria, what, what they found in kimchi was that there, although there were a great deal of different strains or different, I should say, genera, the three genera that is most common is the Leuconostoc lactobacillus. We know about lactobacillus because everyone knows about that. That's what's in regular probiotics that you get from the shelf um, or the refrigerator. And then Wysela, those three, majority of kimchi are those three bacteria. In fact, sauerkraut has the same, those three. I, I did some research on that a little bit. And what they found is that, the scientists found that when you eat, although those three bacteria are very, very high in the kimchi, as you eat it, it changes the flora within the, the, the person. What, why? Because it is a natural antimicrobial agent. So if they found, they had studies where they saw that if you had H. pylori in your gut more so, or if you've had a different type of salmonella, even pathogenic bacteria, it will kill the bacteria, kill those pathogenic bacteria, or ones that might be, um, that can be opportunistic. You know, E. coli can be opportunistic. Mm -hmm. uh, C. diff, Clostridium difficile, uh, which I treat a great deal of people with. In fact, I have a, I, I treat a lot of people with C. diff infections by using kimchi and kimchi um, medicine. So uh, they found that it changes and shifts, even though there's not, um, you know, uh, there's not like other forms of bacteria. They're mainly, again, Leuconostoc, uh, Lactobacillus, and Mycela. There's also Bifidus in kimchi, and there's some, um, uh, subtilis, um bacillus subtilis, which is a spore forming. Mm -hmm. There are varieties. I, I always pronounce that subtilis. Oh, is it subtilis? Subtilis. I don't know. I call. I it just read things. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. It, just so people, they may have heard of it as subtilis, but it's a yeah, really important bacillus that has many benefits. Oh, it does. It does, but it's naturally in kimchi. You know, mm. so why pop a pill when you're getting it in your fermented foods and you get the robustness of the numbers of bacteria, well, mm -hmm. health benefits. You asked me about that. Let's, let's go ahead and well, start. Well, the other thing too, I wanted to kind of have this image in people's mind also that like take the one head of cabbage that this microbiome was growing on. Those microbes have learned to work together from the time that that cabbage was a tiny little seed in the ground and it was growing and growing and growing to a big head of cabbage, you know, they were on that cabbage protecting it and they did that by working together. So that, that is extraordinary. And that again is nothing man can ever duplicate. It's just what I always call the wisdom of nature and we can't duplicate it. That is absolutely correct. I mean, what's fascinating is when you think about the trillions and trillions of bacteria in your gut, you have the outside environment inside your body. How, how beautiful and crazy is that when you think about it really, right? Because that's the truth of it. We've got microbiome everywhere. We've got bacteria everywhere. We've got viruses on our skin, on our hair, on our lashes, in our eyes, inside our eyeballs, you know, tear glands, up our nose, mouth, all the way down, all the way through, vaginally, even inside, a pregnant woman inside the womb. I mean, you can't believe the science now that we're finding it. it you know, in the last 10 years, it's really became much bigger of looking at uh, the human microbiome of all different areas of the body. Because mm -hmm. we yeah, have- Yeah, even in the brain, they're finding the, the same exactly. bacteria, not as many of them, but the ones in the gut are in the brain too. Exactly, the communication, the gut-brain axis, it's, it's amazing. And 
And if you think about, you know, okay, so if that's the case, then we really got to nourish what is the easiest, which is going into our body, what we eat every day. What really got us fired up, everybody, is that we were talking, and I happen to mention that there are things, uh, myths or misunderstandings, totally wrong information circulating around the internet, and people don't know enough about these foods to know what to believe. So what we want to do is cover the four most common myths circulating around and clear up, you know, this misinformation and tell you the truth. So the first myth is all fermented foods are the same. So is in the first, if you ask people, if I ask people about fermented fermented foods, the first thing that pops into their mind is kombucha. So mm-hmm. Suzanne, you want to speak to that? Like, sure. is kombucha anything like or... Is it as good as kimchi? Um, Okay, so let me share what kombucha is, and then I'll show you the, tell you the difference. Kombucha uses this, uh, it's called a scoby. It's this, um, how do I say, it looks like a flying saucer. (laughs) And it's it's fungal based, it is fungal based, but with this fungus, the fermentation occurs, and you you have to put create put sugar in the liquid, and this kind of like fungi colony of fungi with bacteria on the top, and it creates this fermentation. The difference about um, uh, the some of the bacteria might be similar, but there's a lot more yeasts grown Mm -hmm. yeasts grown in um, the kombucha. But also the one thing that people don't talk about is the ethanol. Ethanol is the basic chemical name for alcohol. Alcohol that we drink in spirits, in beer, in wine, um, in um, you know basic alcoholic drinks. That is the the pure chemical name substance is called ethanol, and that's so, that's one of the byproducts of of um, uh, kombucha fermentation. Whereas when it comes to kimchi, majority of there are some be- some yeasts, but majority are lactic acid bacteria. Lactic acid bacteria are formed after fermentation with salt because lactic acid bacteria love salty medium. What happens is that when you ferment, uh, when you're grinding the vegetables first in kimchi, you've got to do it for a certain number of hours, usually one to two hours, sometimes four to six, depending on the type of vegetable. And what that does is that the uh, salt, uh, sea salt is what I use, the sea salt actually kills off any type of pathogenic bacteria, salmonella, shigella, um, streptococcal, E. coli, whatever is in the, the, in, in the soil and that might be growing grown on the vegetables, it'll kill off the bad ones. And then slowly what kicks in because of the salty medium is the lactic acid bacteria. What are those? Like I said, the lactobacillus, the bifidus, uh, the wicellas, uh, the leuconostocs, uh, pedicococcus. I mean, I can go on and on. There's many, many different kinds. But Susan, and I'm glad you, you reminded me of something actually. So I'm glad you said that. Um, over the years, I've had people make their fermented vegetables and then they didn't eat them because they were afraid that maybe they were poisonous. We would have people call the office and say, you know, I followed the directions, um, but I'm afraid, I, have, I made them last week, but I'm afraid to eat them. So here's the thing, if they look pretty, like if they're bright and colorful, and if they're not fermented properly, you can tell they're gross looking 
And yes, I know I, I have my little bed here too. And my lighting is, by the way, not as good as Suzanne's. I don't I couldn't get the lighting right today for some reason. But these are fermented, just from cultured vegetables, and they're bright, even though the light's not great. Versus if I had made them wrong, or if Suzanne had made them wrong, they would have been gray. And I've even seen them where they have this ugly stuff growing around the sides. I've even seen stripes, like pink and gray stripes, and then they smell horrible. So clearly they didn't ferment. So don't, don't be afraid to eat them. I hope that what Suzanne said made it clear that they are, they're going to, first thing they're going to do is they're going to wake up and kill anybody around in their environment that's not going to be good to live with, basically. That's right. And, and if you make it properly, you know, in my book, The Kimchi Diet, I give you exactly every direction. There's four phases of kimchi making. You know, first you, you want to brine it, wash it, prepare it. She said, prepare and brine. And then you want to make all the kimchi paste and then you mix it all up and there you go. You just pop it into the glass jar, whatever you've got. And you, you know, when you're making kimchi, it's really um, a, and there's, it feels very uh, nurturing. I don't know what it, what to say, except there's like loving. Because there, it's like thing. how great people feel when they put their hands in the dirt or they grow a vegetable sure. and there's such a sense of satisfaction. Just, it feels really good to make them. You're making something, you're taking something made by the earth and turning it into something that's even very medicinal, really. And there is a tremendous sense of satisfaction. It's a peaceful, almost like a form of meditation, basically. I agree with you on I that. I agree on that. You know, I've often, many, many times, I actually, my way of making kimchi, I don't use any type of fire. I mean, what I mean by fire is stovetop. I don't make mm -hmm. any rice, rice porridge with it. I only do everything manually. So I have made kimchi outside of my backyard many times. My mom comes over and we make kimchi together. You can, you'll probably see some pictures of that in my book, but boy, it feels even because of the fact that it's an ancient functional food. It's functional food means it gives you so much value for and, and health benefits uh, with that, not just from the fact that you've got probiotics, but the um, organic acids that I was talking to you about earlier, really awesome benefits. Um, one benefit is, of course, butyrate, but it also it has ingredients that are antioxidants. It's known to improve your own glutathione levels. Oh my gosh, about a year and a half ago, a study came out that kimchi produces extra glutathione in the brain. And they are saying wow. that, you know what, using, um, yeah, uh, this would be an, an awesome food, a functional food for possibly reducing Alzheimer's and dementia which totally makes sense. But there's so many actually, it's very easy to infect. People don't realize that, but um, infections are in the brain all the time. I mean, it's a factor with autism, for example. They have a lot of inflammation. And, um, and so having glutathione in the brain is very, would be very protective. Uh, if anything causes that blood-brain barrier or the toxins cause that blood-brain barrier, glutathione would be very protective in the brain. I, I have a study that shows the little boys don't have as much glutathione in the brain as girls do. And maybe that's one of the reasons why there are more boys who um, develop autism. That could be. I mean, um, do you know if there's a difference between male and female regarding methylation? I've never seen anything on that at all. But I do know that children with, uh, which is mostly boys, that 85% of them have methylation issues. That's um, right. In that methylation cycle, those genes, they're not you know, working like they're supposed to, right. basically. 
So um, I know we're getting off the subject here, but you know what we didn't really, really probably cover um, is that all fermented foods are the same. So don't, basically don't, we would both you. agree, we would both agree that kombucha and uh, kimchi and kombucha, um, they don't even look or taste alike, but there's, we're talking about the medicinal benefits. And, and so I've not recommended kombucha over the years. I know that kombucha companies hate me, but I think there are too many people that have had yeast infections, systemic candidiasis. And so when the immune system, when you, when you eat a food with yeast in it, um, the immune system reacts very strongly, like an autoimmune type reaction. And you may or may not realize um, that your body doesn't like it, but it doesn't need more yeast, basically. The other thing that I don't like about, uh, to make kombucha, you're using a ton of sugar that's in right. that tea that you're making. You know, you're putting the scoby but That's in. the reason why people like it so much, because it is sweet. Yeah, it but is. it's not good for you. And uh, it's good for the yeast. That's what it's in there for to grow. Um, they feed off of yeast, but it's not good for you. And it, for many people, they do get a lot of gas from it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't recommend it. I, I would rather people that want to drink, um, even, you know, like Kavita, for example, is one I'd rather steer people toward over most of the kombuchas. And, and then also wild, uh, the reason it has yeast in it is because it's a wild fermentation. Mm -hmm. Beer is wild fermentation and it's just not good for us, basically. And, and so, um, like, for example, when I make my fermented vegetables, you know, they're closed up in a jar. The air isn't circulating all around them, bringing yeast into them. Uh, sourdough bread is a perfect example of a yeast fermentation. You put a little, mix a little flour and water together, you leave it out in the open, and then the yeast from the air come in and start fermenting that, that, that starter, basically, that you're making. So, so, you know, if you've ever had yeast, if you, I mean, just yeast isn't a really good thing to put in the body. So that's why... Um, I'm not big on that one. Now, there's a bunch of fermented products that are dairy-based, and there are millions and millions of people all over the world happily eating dairy-fermented foods like yogurt and kefir. So it's not that I'm against that at all. As a matter of fact, I've often helped people, kids and all, you know, that were off of dairy for a while, be able to slowly but surely go back to it uh, because their mothers wanted them to have that calcium and so on in their diet and that food, and it's a nice thing to give your kids in the morning when they go off to school, it's a glass of kefir, but it's not good for people when they have leaky gut. It's not good for people when they have lung conditions like asthma or bronchitis or anything where there's too much mucus in the body. Dairy is out. I agree. <laughs> I agree. You know, the one thing that I did want you to know um, regarding just, you know, the last bit about what's the difference regarding the GI microbiome when I, t I test out my patients, majority of my patients, I do a gut, um, gut analysis. It's a stool, excuse me, stool analysis. And I actually use two of them. I use GI map and I use Genova GI effects. And the reason why I like to do both of them, one is a PCR that looks at the, all the different types of bacteria, mainly bacteria and parasites. And that's the GI map. But the Genova does looks at the functionality looking at your short-chain fatty acids, if you're digesting your foods properly, um, if there's inflammation, if you've got inflammatory markers, et cetera, including other, your, your microbiome also, the different types of bacteria and commensal uh, opportunistic or not. But what I found was that whenever I did a, you know, a um, uh, stool test on patients that were just over the top, excessive, 
all, like not majority, I would say 70% of the bacteria are super high, which means there's an overgrowth, excessive amounts of bacteria, yeasts. All of them, good and bad bacteria or? Yes, yes, there is an overgrowth. So that's very similar to, let's say, a SIBO, you know, small intestine mm -hmm. bacterial overgrowth or large intestine, a, a LIBO, LIBO, whatever you want to call it, large intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, and what I often ask is if they, if there's someone that they love drinking kombucha, and sure enough, often, more often mm -hmm. than not, yeah, they sense. love kombucha. And mm -hmm. that's how they've created their own, you know, SIBO and a large intestine bacterial overgrowth or um, fungal, you know. SIFO. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Small yeah. intestine fungal overgrowth, large intestine fungal overgrowth. All of these overgrowths can be caused by drinking too much of the kombucha. That's what I'm finding. And that's part of the reason why I don't think it's at all that myth to me. It's not the same. You just mm -hmm. got to, you got to read up on it and you got to ask your doctors to some, a lot of the functional medicine doctors know this. Great. I'm glad you said that because you've got that experience. I didn't know that. So let's um, cover another myth. Um, so, okay. So we've cleared up myth number one, all fermented foods are not the same. They're quite different. And uh, we're big fans of fermented vegetables. I would put them at the top of the list. Um, not that I'm saying for, you know, that yogurt and kefir for people that thrive on that aren't good at all. I just that I think more people, almost everybody can do well on fermented vegetables and kimchi unless they have SIBO or SIFO. So Suzanne, would you speak to that? Like why not when sure. you well, have that, those conditions? In, in my experience, Donna, I actually add kimchi little by little right in the get-go. And the reason is, is because most people who've got an overgrowth of bacteria, they also have other forms of bacteria that might, might be problematic. So what I mean by that, they might have more H. pylori, um, which is higher up. Although it is a natural uh, bacteria that lives in our stomach, but they might have an overgrowth. And or it's become pathogenic. It was okay, like commensal, not a problem. And then it became pathogenic. It can become, absolutely, because it can start eating up and creating um, acid uh, in your stomach and creating uh, an a, um, actual ulcer. So yeah. there's many different reasons why bacteria should be in a specific range. Not enough is not good. You know, there's always that sweet spot. Too much is not good either. You want it to be balanced. And what kimchi does and other ferments is it will help you manage that. So, but I don't like to use, when it's small intestine bacterial growth, one of the symptoms is gas and bloating and cramping and pain. So because of that, I don't use any forms of kimchi that is made with high amounts of fermentable carbohydrates, such as in cabbage. The first ones that I recommend is starting with, with cucumber kimchi or start with pickles. If you Icon. like pickles, but it's got to be, of course, cultured, um, unpasteurized pickles, pickles that you find in the refrigerated section, not in the middle aisle of the of the um, of the uh, grocery stores. So, mm -hmm. or you can do a cabbage, um, not cabbage, but a carrot daikon. That's a really nice. Yes, you can definitely do that. My mm -hmm. second phase actually is um, is mustard, not mustard. Um, leaves, mustard leaf kimchi, or bok choy kimchi. The third phase, which is each, it's like each week to two weeks, you know, I go through it um, each week. And then third phase is the radish. And then the fourth is um, the Napa cabbage. So within four to six to eight weeks, you're, you're slowly seeding the, the good bacteria, even if you've got um, SIBO or SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Any forms of 
digestive disorders or digestive issues, I start it with cucumber or pickles because mm. it doesn't give you that gas and bloating. Well, also, I think, too, instead of actually having, um, for example, in this jar, you'll see all these cabbage, carrots, it's all, you know, shredded up. You can drink the juice. And that, for people with, uh, that's a good place to start, too. Also, I have a lot of research showing that lactic acid bacteria, which is what's in these fermented foods, um, are actually, they actually degrade histamine. So there's a misunderstanding about fermented foods as far as uh, histamine intolerance goes as well. They, um, but again, it's like you, you don't, you want to start um, slow, and I, which exactly. is what you're recommending too. So another myth is that fermented foods are full of good nutrition, especially when they're made with a different variety and all, but the bacteria in them don't make them down into the gut. That one makes me really mad and I can't even understand how people could, anyone could say that because it's so common. I mean, first of all, you're swallowing, eating them, swallowing it, traveling, it's traveling down your digestive tract and it eventually comes out in your stool the other end. And then there's tons and tons of research in mice and in humans, everybody, dogs, whatever you want to, whatever you want to look at. There's bacteria from the fermented vegetables or kimchi in the stool. So please don't believe that myth, but Suzanne, do you want to add to that? I truly believe that having fermented foods, the bacteria does reach the gut, down below the stomach. Now, a lot of scientists or doctors are saying it doesn't bypass the stomach. The stomach is very low in acid and it'll kill the bacteria unless you've got- Wait, 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 wait. I'm confused here. So the stomach's high in, it's, it has a low pH, but it's high in acid. It's what you mean, right? What did it's I acidic. Say? You said the yeah. opposite. Oh, was, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, so the stomach is an acidic environment, so it's going to kill. It is a very acidic environment, the stomach. <clears throat> that is correct. So the thought well, is, well, they must kill the bacteria. They must die once they reach the stomach. And you didn't mean, that's what you were going to say, yeah. right? What I meant was that the stomach is an acidic environment. It's more acidic when you're eating food. Remember, the way our stomach processes and creates the uh, juices so that you can break down the proteins is that it brings in and creates hydrochloric acid within the stomach by the parietal cells. And that's when you're eating food, that's number one. But, but when you do, you gotta realize kimchi and as well as other lactic acid bacteria ferment, ferments are low. It's a, the pH is low, it is an acidic food. So the bacteria can live in acidic environment. Mm -hmm. so They're acid living bacteria, lactic acid bacteria. Exactly. Then. So well, I'm just going to add to that is a whole lot of people, especially almost everybody as they get older, lack stomach acid. So having lactic acid bacteria in your stomach, which is supposed to be an acidic environment, is a plus. Absolutely, it's a plus. Not, and another reason is because the lactic acid bacteria actually produces amylase, proteases, lipase. They produce enzymes. Literally, these bacteria produce enzymes that so that you can pre-digest your, it'll help you pre-digest your food for you. So that's another, you know, as we age, we don't produce as much enzymes. But if you eat more 
of the ferments and fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, et cetera, you're going to be able to get better digestion. And what that means is when you better digest and you break down your macronutrients, then the extraction of the vitamins, the vitamin Bs and, and vitamin K, all of that K, extraction of these amino acids all get much more, you know, robust. Absurd. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and you know, I like for people to imagine, you know, you put a few spoon pills on your plate, you eat them with your meal. They're traveling down your digestive tract with all that food, you know, extracting the minerals like Suzanne said and all, but they're breaking down that food, making it more digestible. So they're, they are a form of enzyme and super important. I mean, people who have, this is something I've heard for years. People have told me I can't digest eggs, so I never eat them. Mm. First of all, eating organic eggs helps a lot like versus the bad eggs that most people are eating in the world. But, and then if you can get them fertile, they're even easier to digest. But those same people, if they eat a spoonful or so of fermented vegetables with their eggs, have no trouble digesting their eggs. Sometimes when I am really short on time and I just need something really quickly and I'll just have a piece of protein, let's say, I don't have time to make a vegetable. I'll just add a couple of spoonfuls of fermented vegetables onto the plate. And that's a complete meal. I've got protein and vegetables right away immediately. So they're fast food too. I, I am, I'm right there with you, Donna. I mean, today it, it was funny. What I had for breakfast, I had oatmeal, oatmeal. And to me, you know, it's gluten-free oats. Um, I'm someone that I cannot go without some carbohydrates because my body- is geared towards it. Too. I, 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 I can tell right away if I haven't had them, I don't sleep very well. No, like, uh -oh. no, people don't realize that um, we need carbohydrates because we need carbohydrates to feed our bacteria, feed mm -hmm. our microbiome. But I'm also someone that I don't have a lot of reserve. I don't have a lot of fat on me. Uh, so because of that, I need a little bit of carbohydrates here and not a lot, but what and I did have was I had the oatmeal with my cucumber kimchi that I told you I had, and it just was a complete meal to me. It was so yummy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? sounds great to me too. If you're listening to this and you think that is weird, I could never, I want sugar in my oatmeal and honey or something. You'll right. change your mind as you start bringing these foods into your diet. That I can promise you. So, okay, so just remember this, myth number two. Yes, they have good nutrition, but absolutely they colonize the gut. They bring good bacteria down into the stool. We have a mucus lining on the gut that they nestle into, many of them. And even um, when you go to the bathroom and the stool leaves, there are plenty left along the side sidelines hanging in there. So that mucus protecting us and, and protecting that gut lining and protecting us from the outside world getting into our body. So that myth is wrong. And, uh, you know, Donna, if you hear that, tell people. Donna, can I give you just with that, with that, um, I, I did a little research and there was a specific research on what we're talking about and they mm -hmm. tested. Now, now there's no research like this because this was done with PCR. PCR is polymerase chain reaction. And what they did was they, they looked at uh, Korean uh, women a small group though, Korean women, and they took a look at their stool sample, whether when they ate a small amount of kimchi, which is like 15 grams of kimchi, which 15 grams is about a tablespoon of kimchi per day, to 150 grams. Is it okay if I talk about the study? Because this study yeah, really blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. I'm gonna, what, I tell you- Was this on obesity? 
this is no, this is that, that we could talk about that one too, but this is uh, uh, one by Journal of uh, Nutrition and Food Science and changes in Korean adult females intestinal microbiota resulting from kimchi intake. So I'm going to just give you the gist of it. They, they had a group of ladies and then there were um, the control group and they ate small amounts um, and then they, the, the control group only ate 15 grams and the uh, one that had high levels, it was 150 grams. 150 grams is a little bit more than half of a cup, just to give you an idea of the volume of what they ate per day. More than and a half a cup, okay. A little bit more, about 0. 0.6. And, and they ate that throughout the day? Like all through the day? They yeah, to, they, yeah, they ate it throughout the day, and once a day, they took a stool sample, and they looked at the PCR daily, daily, mm -hmm. and within weeks, and they started seeing the changes within like two to three days already. Oh but yeah. What we found Fast. was that everybody had their unique uh, microbiome. Some people had more of the, the one, um, you know, streptococcal. Other people had more of E. coli. It, they just had their own unique. Like your your microbiome is different from mine. We all have our own unique patterns, just like mm -hmm. our genes, right? So what they did find, though, a lot of, of these ladies had path some pathogenic, some that might cause harm. Other people had more opportunistic that might not cause harm, but if you had too much overgrowth, it could. But what happened was that as they ate more and more kimchi, and as they ate kimchi of that 150, half of a cup per day, those bad, bad bacterias went down in percent. And even some of them went down in double folds. And then the leuconostoc. Remember I said in kimchi, there's high levels of leuconostoc. Mm -hmm. And leuconostoc is a good bacteria. Oh, it's, there's it, starts, it starts the fermentation, yeah. Yeah, leuconostoc cervasus, um, I think. I think that's how you call it. Or curvaceous. That's right, curvaceous. Like leuconostoc curvaceous, they found reduces high cholesterol in your, mm -hmm. in your body. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a very common bacteria in kimchi. So what they're fi finding is the leuconostoc just shoots right up and the bad ones go down. And that they found that in the stool. They didn't find it up high. They found it way down when they did their poop test. So this is, this is probably one of the key uh, st studies that shows that yes, we get bacteria all the way down, all the mm -hmm. way down into. Well, yeah. I, you just reminded me that I have this paper right here it's a, it was called the, um, from the Journal of Nutrition, a critical review. These scientists took, did sort of research and they found 19 different other studies that were done on exactly that. And so this is called, does consumption of fermented foods modify the human gut microbiota? Mm -hmm. the, the bottom line uh, of all those studies was absolutely. So there's plenty of proof. I mean, well, I think I we've think dispelled we that cool. myth. <laughs> I, I definitely think that we need to have more because more studies, more studies. More studies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know why? Who wants? Who makes money on this? Not the drug companies. They're certainly not going to do studies on it. So, but it's interesting for us. And and remember when we were talking, you sent me over that one on mood um, anxiety. How oh, there any is? Go talk about that. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah, the, the, it, they've known for a long time that bacteria, not for a long, long time, but, you know, in the last maybe 10, 12 years, that the different bacteria, of course, have many different benefits, but some of them um, uh, affect your mood, like depression, for example. Actually, the word kefir in Turkish means feel good. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, just I think this is interesting. Um, 
the legends around kefir is that um, it, it was actually the food of, of Noah's Ark. So that's how they survived. But um, there's a lot of cool legends around these. Sometimes we should do a podcast on all the legends surrounding all these different fermented foods. So you're the one that sent me that study on how the, um, I think it was kimchi, is anxiolytic, meaning anxiolytic, calming yeah. to people with anxiety. So mm-hmm. again, that's a great thing. We certainly have a lot of anxiety right now. So another plus for eating it. So there's many, many benefits. We're sort of covering tons of them throughout this talk. Now, let me get to the myth number three. This one really, really concerns me. Mm. I have had three different women over, you know, a year this year. Yesterday, actually, was the third one. She was pregnant. And I said, oh, I hope you're getting a chance to eat fermented foods. She said, oh, no, they're dangerous. I know you're not supposed to eat fermented foods when you're pregnant. And it just stuns me because it's the exact opposite. You must see fermented foods when you're pregnant. How are you going to get the bacteria translocating down into the vagina? So when your baby slips through the world, into the world, through the vagina, it picks up these wonderful, important, this incredible diversity so that your baby can live in a world that's filled with all kinds of microbes. This is nature's this is how nature vaccinates us. It brings us into the world. It builds this ecosystem in our gut, which becomes our immune system. And within three months or so, you know, that, that, that it's quite well formed. It continues, the ecosystem and our microbiome continues to form even more uh, throughout the, next, the whole year. But those critical, uh, that moment at birth when the baby comes out into the world, not that he hasn't been exposed to some bacteria already, but very, very minimal, but which is another misunderstanding. People think that the uh, womb is sterile, it's not. But now they're exposed to all this bacteria in the mother's gut. Well, what if it's not healthy bacteria? What if it's group B strep? Now, that's another thing too, like I've had over the years, a good, and I actually had a, back in the day when there was this magazine called Mothering Magazine, I did a whole article on this, but, so B, group B strep is a potentially dangerous uh, bacteria. It's not actually, it's commensal like E. coli is, but it can change into a pathic. But the statistics on it changing and infecting and harming the baby are just tiny. But nevertheless, they start mothers on a um, IV drip if they are testing positive for group B strep. And um, they give them this antibiotic through the IV, the, the antibiotics and the drip is an IV antibiotic through the entire labor, eight hours, 16 hours, however long she's in two days, whatever they help, you know, she stays in labor, she's getting this antibiotic, which means that she has lost her microbiome. The baby's certainly not going to, is going to get off to a bad start. But we have found with our mothers that if they're eating the fermented foods while they're pregnant, that group B strep never becomes pathogenic for the reasons that you explained, Suzanne, that, you know, the good bacteria control the bad bacteria. And the more you eat them, the more they get them under the control. And in the case of group B strep, it's not bad. It won't become bad. So you can not have to go on that IV. Now, your doctor is required to almost force you to do it. We've had a couple of mothers say, look, I'm not doing, I'm not taking the IV. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything wrong with my baby, I'm suing you. So they don't give them the, uh, the antibiotic in the hospital. And, but it's, a, it's this battle to get this information out to people. So 
that's one reason right there, two reasons right there. You want your baby to have a healthy microbiome. And if there are pathogens or potential pathogens in your gut, you're gonna you know, get rid of those and um, have the good bacteria taking over the environment. So that's what you're seeding your baby, your baby's microbiome with. Do you want to add to that? <laughs> oh, I will tell you that the Korean scientists have done studies on pregnant women and the ch children that are born uh, from eating kimchi, they found that they have less allergies. The babies have less oh, yeah. They have Good less point. atopic dermatitis. They have mm -hmm. less asthma. They've got less allergenic um, symptomatology. So to me, one of the things that they just recently found also, I don't remember the exact month, year, but they, they're finding um, that there's microbiome within the baby, within, within the womb, meaning it's in the micro, it's the meconium. Meconium is the, mm -hmm. um, the uh, material that's inside the fetus or the babies, it's inside the womb, it's, it's in the intestinal tract. They're finding mm -hmm. bacteria mm -hmm. in there. So tell me, how did it get there, right? It, you got to mm -hmm, think about mm -hmm, that one. Actually, and, the, when the, the first time the baby actually has his first stool or bowel movement, that is the meconium. Exactly. I didn't know that. I didn't. That's, that's interesting. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, wow, that's interesting. Well, but, yeah, because it's not an environment that's colonized with a lot of bacteria like the skin or the vagina, but um, it's there. It's there. And, you know, the, the, these are the things they're still constantly trying to figure out. Like, how does this bacteria move around the body and get up into the brain or get into the meconium of this baby? Um, okay, so, so my take on that strep B. A lot of the women that comes to me saying that they have strep B in their vagina, and most most um, uh, gynecologists will do cultures. You know, you go to your pap smear, they might do a culture. I think that's required, oh, yeah. Right? You got strep B. Well, the individuals, the women that have strep B have a great deal of gas, great deal of gas. So when you expel gas, that actually expels bacteria. And this, this is well known that um, in the gas that you're expelling, it will have bacteria. That will literally just travel right in. It's like an aerosol. I know it you know, sounds, might sound gross, but that's what it happens. That's the reason why. It, because strep B, is, streptococcal bacteria, actually is naturally in the gut. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a commensal bacteria. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. When you commensal, have a let's define commensal, commensal to people. Like it's a resonant; it makes up the entire microbiome, but it's not a leader. It's not, no. you know, it's, it's just there, you know, basically. So, um, so actually, we covered the fourth myth that I want us to that I wanted us to go over, which is about histamine. Mm. If you have histamine intolerance, they always tell you avoid fermented foods. Well, it's not fair to throw all of them into the same bucket and say avoid all of them because as I mentioned earlier, uh, lactic, lactic acid bacteria is degrades histamine. So we did cover that earlier. So I just wanted to make sure that was, I, I had four myths that we were gonna cover today. But now Suzanne, would you just kind of tell everybody, get your jar back out there, show us. I wish I had that jar in my house right now. This is radish delicious. phase three, oh, my favorite. Radish, you know, Korean radish is a little bit different. You've heard of daikon, and you could probably mm -hmm. find daikon everywhere. Um, Even health food stores, yeah. yeah. But what's Korean, you have to go to a Korean, do you have to go to a Korean store to get Korean radish? Korean radish are, are much more plumper, it could be shorter, and it's juicy. 
Um, mm. Gosh, there's an actual name for them. It's, uh, oh, I can't even tell you. There's different types of radishes. There's many different kinds of radishes out there. But, but you have to go to a kimchi, I mean, to a Korean market to get them, uh, right? You see? Or Asian yes. market? I mean, most of the time I've only found alpine. They're called alpine radish, the Korean ones. Um, and, you know, it has white with a little greenish on the top side. It's beautiful. I absolutely love alpine. The reason why I like it is because it's juicier, it's sweeter. And when you, when you are um, brining, the re part of the reason why you like to, I like to brine and what you should do with brining is that you're going to see a lot of water leach out of the vegetable. And that leaching out of the water also makes it where you're going to have longer, um, when the uh, um, uh, vegetable will ripe slower and it'll taste more crunchy and more, just like the taste is cool because the texture is better. So you and want your kimchi to be crunchy? Do, you, do I like my kimchi you, to be crunchy? Yeah. I notice you have little big, you know, pieces are kind of big. They're square. Yes, mm -hmm. they're little square. You can cut them into longer pieces, but Korean style, we always cut them into squares and they are crunchy and um, um, how do I say? It's bite-sized pieces, you know, it's making my mouth water right now. And I noticed you've been already eating out of that jar. I know, right? You opened that jar. Oh, please, I definitely opened that one. And this one is dated. If you look, I always date mine. And it's, it, I, I made this June 28th. This is a full well, you haven't eaten much of it. It would be gone if it were at my house. <laughs> oh, no. When I make it, I get three, four bottles going. Oh, the, you're talking about the whole batch was made on the six. Yeah, okay, yes. Good. I, must have, I must have right now about... 13, 14 different bottles at different phases. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so by the way, everybody, that was a month ago. This yes, is seven that's days. right. Because yeah, there you go. It's been, it's one month ago. And one month, let me tell you, when you make kimchi, the um, amount of volume or the number of bacterias go up. And the sweet spot is about three, four weeks. That's when you mm -hmm. have the most amount of bacteria. In. So they've been sitting in your refrigerator after a few days and three or four weeks, you like them even better. Yeah. I leave it out. Remember when you first make, you know, kimchi, you got to let it ferment outside at room temperature so that you get rapid fermentation. Bacteria starts really growing quick, quickly, exponentially in uh, ambient air and room temperature. And within a day or two, depending on whether it's winter, if I put a lot more salt, there's many, many different reasons and variations why you are, you're not gonna ripen as quickly, but it doesn't matter. What I do is I just pop it in the fridge and then let it, then that refrigeration slows down the fermentation. This mm -hmm. one's just made- It still goes on, they're still fermenting. It doesn't stop altogether. Nope. I just wanna tell people that Suzanne has a masterclass and you can take your master class and learn all about kimchi, the science, but most of all, how to make it. Yes, it's called the Kimchi Detox Program. So you just look up kimchidetox.com. Very easy. Not doesn't cost a lot. There's over 40 uh, videos on it. And I teach you exactly how to make it. I give you a lot of tips and tricks that I know that I've learned from major generations. My great-grandmother all the way down to me. I mean, my kimchi and my... Um, my recipes it comes from my ancestors. It's, that's the beauty of mm. kimchi making. Is also you're gonna you're, you're gonna make it with your family. You hand it down, you know, to your your children. This is cucumber kimchi, and you can see there's carrots in there. There's also radish, little bits of radish, garlic, ginger, red pepper. Oh, and cucumber kimchi is so good. I made this two weeks ago. 
So every two weeks. So what is it in there that makes it red? Oh, it's red pepper. Oh yeah, it's red pepper. It's uh, a red pepper is one of those ingredients <clears throat> Corinne's love to use. But let me tell you, there are times where I don't put any red pepper in. The entire, the same uh, recipe, you can do exactly the same in my book without putting red pepper. If you're, you're um, sensitive to red pepper, if red pepper mm -hmm. causes histamine. Too really, spicy. Yeah, it's yeah. too spicy. Well, how many recipes are in the book? I have the book. I should have gotten it. Oh, right there's there. four phases. Mm -hmm. I only put four phases in there. Oh, so the detox program and the kimchi mm -hmm. detox uh, videos. I teach you how to make uh, water kimchi. It's called tongchimi, and I'm telling you that water kimchi is so delicious. You make mm -hmm. it, you know, during the summertime. You drink it and mix it in with. Your, you can even mix it like I've made virgin margaritas. Oh, virgin margaritas. What are those called? Virgin bloody marys. Marys, yeah, bloody marys. Juice, but no. with virgin, oh, cool. you know, I mean, you know, alcohol, mm -hmm. but you make it together, and it's so delicious. Wow. Well, would you mail me some, please? Yeah. I got it. They do travel very well, by the way. I do have them sometimes made in California by my daughter, and she'll send them to me. But, um, but I, have, I make them myself, too. They're, I would never be without them. They're so critical. When you know the science, you know that they're the best of the best of all the possible fermented foods you can have, and they're way better than probiotics, then you wouldn't be, you know, I would never be without them. But okay, so so the thing is, is that I was going to ask you to show us, um, you know, how you make them, but just kind of give me a few ideas, like a, all of us listening, like just a few steps. But most of all, explain about the brine. Okay. I, I also do brining, and and I, we do them differently, but the brine's real important, and using salt is important too. So right. let me talk about exactly. that. So um, I use. Solar sea salt. Solar sea salt mean, basically means it's been dried in the sun. Sea salt mm -hmm. is dried in the mm -hmm. sun. And the one that I get is comes from Korea. I, mm -hmm. The reason I like that because that's what I've always used. But mm -hmm. I know you can use kosher sea salt. And mm -hmm. you can use I use Celtic salt from Selena Naturally. Celtic sea salt you can use as well. But get the one that's not totally baby grind, granules. Get the one that's coarse, coarse mm -hmm. salt. And mm -hmm. the brining, like I said, is probably to me the most important step if you want to have delicious kimchi because it kills off all the bad bugs and the yeasts and it gets rid of it. So you sprinkle, you got to figure out whichever vegetable you want. Let's say it's, it's a cucumber and you wash the cucumber, you cut it. I cut it into in half and then I just sprinkle the salt. And I let it sit there. So wait, you've got the long cucumber and you just cut it down oh, half the length way? The best forms of cucumber. Because, you know, people are going to run around and get the cucumbers and they're going to do this. So let me explain the, type of, yeah. the yeah. type of cucumber that's best are the Kirby's, the one that you make pickles. And mm -hmm. they're Those very immature seeds. Yeah, they're short or Persian. Persian pickles are really good. They're short or hothouse. Hothouse, mm -hmm. the ones that I get, they're organic and they're always wrapped with like cellophane mm -hmm. and the hothouse that are longer and or i think another name is english cucumbers oh but yeah yeah I see you gotta get the one that are, are low in seeds you don't want the seeds in there you want mm -hmm. you know so um there are times so, where so these these varieties don't have all the seeds like your typical cucumber does you're saying right it's okay. immature seeds they're smaller oh, and okay. they're dense these are these are cumbers that are dense you know so mm -hmm. frontier so what, what you do, I do is I just cut it in half lengthwise, and then I just sprinkle it all around. And usually within, um, if I were to do like eight Kirby's, the shorter ones, eight to 10, I might use probably 
mm, a quarter cup of salt, you know, and mm -hmm. sprinkle it on mm -hmm. and let it really draw out. Remember, if you think it's too salty, because I always taste it after I've brined for an hour to two hours, I always taste, I just cut up and just have a taste of it. And if it's mm -hmm. too salty, I'll dip it in, you know, purified water. Just mm -hmm. take a little extra salt out. You're going to see, you're going to find so out. How long are you brining the pickles? About an hour to two hours, depending on how fat it is. It just depends on your vegetable, how mm -hmm. fat it is. If I'm brining, uh, let's say mustard greens, it doesn't take very long because there's not a lot mm -hmm. of density, right? Mm -hmm. but, but I need to brine it at least an hour to two hours because I want all that bacteria to go, the bad ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then what? After you brined your Then after your you brine, then what I do is I prepare the kimchi paste. Kimchi paste, again, garlic, ginger, red pepper, um, carrots you can put, green onions you can put. Uh, um, I use fruit. The fruit is most important because that's the substrate where the sugar is. I don't ever use sugar. You can use sugar. Get, don't get me wrong. Sweet tasting kimchi is yummy kimchi, uh, but I've been to many, many different stores in Koreatown getting these different ki 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 um, kimchis and they, are, they all add a lot of sugar or rice porridge. Although rice porridge is fine, it's just that you've got to use the stove and I don't want, I don't, I just, I just like to do it the ancient way. You know how my ancient ancestors um, made kimchi. But the, the fruit, I either grate it or I chop it up in little fine pieces and that's the substrate. And then uh, once I do that, I mix it all together. You got to cut up. You know, cut up the cucumber, you can, they're, they're long, so I cut it up into little small bite-sized pieces, like mm -hmm. so, and then I mixed all the paste together. That's the, that's the third, you know, um, step. And then finally, after you've mixed it all together, you gotta taste it. You, the what mm. you're gonna taste, and if you put red pepper, like I said, red pepper is an ingredient, only if you want it, um, but I'm big on red pepper, I love red pepper. Well, what type and of pepper? There's so many different types of pepper. It is Korean red pepper. Oh. You got to get is it. Is that available at Whole Foods or some? It is or you available have to go at market? online. I've seen it on Amazon. I've seen it on Amazon. It's, it's, it's fresh. Like, it's a fresh red pepper. Like, it's a red pepper powder. Thank you oh, for asking that. Okay. It is red okay, pepper good. powder. And uh, when you okay. get it, get, it's in my book. On the back of the book here, I have mm -hmm. resource. And then I tell you uh, where you can get on Amazon because I like that specific uh, red pepper coming from Korea. I want you to know, I discovered- And you can get it here in the US. Yes, through Amazon. Um, and what if people are listening to this in the UK or um, Australia? They can get it. Um, I've, I've had people get it from- Everywhere. Well, they've had Amazon, yes. I, mm -hmm. You know, from my, my kimchi detox program, I have students all around the world. I mean, like mm -hmm. Kenya, sure. yeah. Romania, mm -hmm. and you name it, they're everywhere. So they're able to get the red pepper. They are. That just reminds me, I was reading today about another study showing um, uh, these researchers looked at all over the world. Where are there the fewest number of COVID-19 cases? Oh, yes. And you know, number one, well, actually Korea already has any, what did you tell me, 300 people? 300 people right now who have who, the deaths, 300 deaths. You're absolutely right. Uh, when it comes to the numbers in Korea, Korea was actually one of the first countries that got hit because Korea butts up right against China, all right? And a lot, a lot of Chinese people come into Korea for vacation. 
So um, Korea was one of the um, first countries that started seeing corona, uh, SARS corona 2 the COVID-19 disease. So what ended up happening was as, you know, Korea's actually been hit by the SARS-1. If you remember in 2002-03, right? SARS-1, that got hit. And uh, MERS also, M-E-R-S, that's the uh, one mm -hmm. in the Middle East. So they mm -hmm. are well prepared. They know how to handle these types of, of epidemics. And they learned a great deal from the SARS-1. What's interesting was that the SARS-1, um, they found out that the Korean people didn't get a lot of it. And they actually think it has to do with the kimchi. Let me- let oh, for sure. That's yeah. what I was gonna tell you about the study. Um, so they looked all over, all over the world, but particularly Europe and all. And some regions don't eat any sauerkraut. Um, but Germany eats a lot, and they had by far the lowest number of cases. I forget exactly, but almost nothing compared to other places. And, and then they looked at, I think it was not Sweden, Switzerland, and they found out that uh, there were cases there, but, the, but there are two different types of people. Some people had come in, and they, they, I think they were from France and Spain, and they didn't eat sauerkraut. So they did have more cases. And then the people uh, that were from Switzerland that ate, you know, they came in, they, they were say German, I guess, and they ate, this, um, they ate the sauerkraut. They didn't have the COVID-19. So, mm -hmm. so it's even when you go to another country, it's the people eating the sauerkraut, not the country itself. It wasn't just some other reason that Germans weren't having a problem. It was the sauerkraut, wherever they went, wherever they ate, you know, cause most people, um, if you're a Russian or you're German and you, um, this is an important part of your diet, you're going to try to bring that with you. And that's what it happened. So just right. want people to know that. I mean, we can't yeah. say enough about the importance of this right now to, oh, and then we have another study. I think this is something either you sent it or I found it. I don't remember that, um, people who actually got the COVID-19, you know, virus, um, they were far less likely to die. I mean, they survived it very well. Um, they didn't get the pneumonia and they didn't go become really seriously sick. So even if you're exposed to it, you've got that strong immune system, you may or may not know you have it, but um, even if you start to come down with it, don't wait till then, of course, you know, start now eating this food right now. But if you should find yourself, you know, um, exposed to it and you're starting to get the symptoms, just know that it's a, a really important insurance policy that you won't, you maybe feel like you've got a bad flu or something at the worst, but you won't go into that death, the threat of dying from, from this virus. There's, there's no doubt that uh, when it comes to, I believe that fermented foods and kimchi had a huge impact on why Korea, South Korea is not, is really down on the low, low, low list. Uh, when you think about the numbers now, um, I did say that there were about 300 deaths, but there's about 14, I think it was 14,000 cases only in, in mm. Korea, 14,000 mm. um, cases, 14,251 specifically as wow. of today. But let's listen to this. There are 51 million Korean people in South Korea, 51 million. California, wow. how many That's people? 40 million. 40 million people. 40 California. million in California. Mm. The amount of, of um, when it comes to square footage 
you know, of the land. There's only mm -hmm. 39,000 square foot. So in- They're packed in, in there together. We're packed in. Whereas mm -hmm. in California, I believe it's like 163,000, 163,000 when it comes to square miles. So, so it's a much bigger state, California, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Spread out all over the state. Yeah, all over. Yeah. Um, Distancing. And we've got more people in Korea and smaller, mm -hmm. but the numbers are crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. California deaths over 8,700, 8, and then close to half a million cases in California mm -hmm. right now. Half so we can pretty much assume that that's not because they're washing their hands and wearing their face masks. There's something else going on. There's and Korea else. is a country that eats There's Korean no doubt. kimchi. Yeah, and you know what? It doesn't hurt you at all to start putting fermented foods in your life. Not at all. If it's the only thing it's going to do is it's going to give you major benefits for your heart, oh, yeah. for your, your weight. It helps you slim you down for your mm -hmm. energy level as an antioxidant. It's anti, anti mutagenic. It even is known to reduce cancer, um, cancer. It helps you with inflammation in your body. Uh, it helps you with your fatty liver. I saw a study about fatty liver, you know, too much fat inside your liver. It helps tone that down. I can go on and on about, and of course, how it can help your gut, your gut health. It's well, just, yeah, and also I want to add to that, Suzanne, that um, if you start your babies and children on the juice of the fermented vegetables, I mean, the kimchi I wouldn't do because it's a spi if it's spicy kimchi. And I'd like to explain, you know, our method and body ecology for making fermented vegetables too, because it's another simple way. Mm -hmm. But um, and and how we do brining and adding a starter, but um, you can take the juice and just like day, a day or so after the baby's born, dilute it, put it in a dropper and put it in their mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no law in the world that says babies that only have milk. Um, so we've done this for years and um, we've never had a child with autism, by the way. And also um, they, they make a funny face because it's extremely sour and weird tasting to them, but they like it. And a lot of little videos and pictures where people have sent me their, their first pictures of the baby, the first taste that he gets. And, um, but they grow up loving it. And here's the important thing. They aren't drawn to sweet foods, which is a big deal. Go to a birthday party, they eat a piece of cake, it's too sweet. And they maybe put that cake back down or don't have any more of it. So that's what they do. They're sour and they dampen your desire for sweets. And then that's huge really right there. Because you know, sweets are so addictive. One of the things that people, you can do, I mean, uh, you gotta realize when you are nursing your baby all around your areola and, and your nipple area, that's a microbiome all of itself. There's a great deal of good bacterias there. So, you know, make sure, I, I'm a big, big, uh, strong proponent when it comes to breastfeeding. I think it's super important. And please don't wash your breasts every single time you before you want to feed your baby. No, let that continually um, uh, nourish and, and grow. And, and, and of course, you do want to take a shower once a day, but I don't mean like, uh, you know, a lot of, there's like these little breast, you know, washing wipes. And I think that's absolutely horrible because that's what you're putting into your baby's mouth, right? You can also take that that uh, kimchi juice or sauerkraut juice and you can put it in, a, of course, it's non-spicy around your areola. You could do it that way. I've taught mm -hmm. people when they've got sinusitis and fungal infections in the sinus mm -hmm. cavities, 
you can put yeah. a little bit of that liquid up the nose, not the red one, but the non-spicy. And mm -hmm. there's an actual bacteria called Lactobacillus sacchii, Lactobacillus sacchii that is low in the microbiome of your flora and your nose if you've got fungal infections. So by doing that with a Q-tip, it will like get rid of those bacteria. You can do it in your ear too. I mean, there's so many things you can do with mm -hmm. uh, kimchi juice or sauerkraut juice, pickle yeah. juice. So, so I always say, I don't use sauerkraut anymore. I always say fermented vegetables or cultured vegetables. And here's just an example of a very simple, basic recipe. And all you do really is you take in your, in this case, cabbage and carrots, garlic and ginger. I shred them up in a food processor and put them in a big bowl. And then I make a brine by taking the um, Vitamix and put water in it about two thirds of the way. Um, I actually put in two or three sweet red apples. Uh, you know, chop them up and put them in there. And then I put in usually about two tablespoons of salt. I, I do use the Celtic sea salt from Selena naturally. And um, I put in, always put in some starter because I have research, I have actually tested our starter by taking our starter to, uh, sending it to the University of Nebraska lab to find out that um, if I made the batch, uh, I made the exact same batch, but part of it I put in starter and part of it I didn't. The number, the microbial count was astronomically higher because of the starter. The starter has Lactobacillus plantarum, and it's a, one of the super leaders in the, of the uh, certain bacteria in the gut are leaders, and they tell the other ones what to do. I mean, that's very logical when you think about it. You, you've got a bunch of wild you know, bacteria running around in there. They need to have some structure to their world. So there are certain bacteria like Lactobacillus and Johnsonia and all that literally tell the other ones what to do. So um, anyway, so you just, um, what I do after I've made that brine, that's what I call the brine, uh, you know, turn that button on and puree that. Then, oh, and I add our ancient earth minerals because I love fulvic and humic minerals. So I'll put you a bunch of dropperfuls, like four or five dropperfuls of that. And then I pour all that into a, um, well, I have all the vegetables in a bowl. Now I put the brine in and then I add about two more cups of water because you want your veggies, and this, Suzanne will say this too, they need to be underwater while they're fermenting. Uh, so I'll add a couple more cups of water to make sure they're, they're juicy. Pack them into the jar and then roll up um, cabbage leaves or you know kale leaves, uh, collards or something, and, and sort of stuff that in the very top because you're going to be that's going to be pushing things down. This one I fermented for about a week before I put it in the refrigerator. Uh, they they as they start to ferment, they kind of shrink. So mm. so pack you know push them down really really tight. And then uh, put the um, the cabbage leaf or whatever at the very top, push that down. But even so, you'll um, when they finish fermenting, you'll sort of see a little air space. Uh, you don't want air to get in them when they're fermenting. Uh, you know, you want the anyway. You just don't want air. But so so be sure you pack them real tightly. The first day or so, they may kind of drip over unless you use a special. So they, there's some companies that will sell you lids that have little air locks on them, and you can buy those. But you know, you have to get like nine or ten per batch. Uh, I don't bother to do that. You can just kind of uh, be sure you put a tray underneath because they're going to drip. You just loosen them up after day one and then screw them back down again and let them keep on fermenting. And I let mine go seven days and then I put them in the refrigerator. And then I've given them to many, many people who didn't know if they were going to like them or not. And they love them and children love them too. So, and, and if you've got children at home, 
especially right now when they have a lot to do, bring them into the kitchen and help them make these foods because they love, they always like the food that they've made. If they've made it, they like it better. So, um, so we do sell starter. I, you don't have to use starter. It's just best to use starter, but they're going to ferment anyway, and they have all their wonderful microbes on them in their little environments. So, Suzanne, I kind of wanted to wrap this up by actually talking more about children because as they go back to school and people are really concerned about their safety, mm -hmm. um, what, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, what I do know is that children are not getting sick for, you know, with COVID. Um, they don't. It's uh, very rare. It's a very mm -hmm. rare thing. I see a lot of problems with the kids staying at home and being online. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about it, actually, because I don't believe that kids should be in a mask 24 all day long. No, you're breathing you know, out your own carbon dioxide, your own germs, you're breathing absolutely. that in. Because yeah. of that, um, I, I personally think that if you can, if, if you have the ability to do this, I would do homeschooling with groups of families. Make sure that the families are healthy and then do the homeschooling. And I know it's not an option for everyone, but I, I would not, if I, because I'm a 20, and my son's like 25 now. But so I, I, but if I had a son, young son right now, uh, who's going to elementary school, let's say, or middle school, high school, what I would do is I would do the homeschooling or in some way getting a tutor with many, many students that are already, the families have been controlled. The reason is, is because um, I know people who are more lax about it. And I've heard way too many people who've gotten super sick and even their family members have passed away. And I don't want to be in that situation. I wouldn't want to put my child in that situation where the child is exposed at a school with, you know, 100 kids, 500 kids, whatever. And um, although they're not ill themselves, they might be a carrier and bring it home and then, um, and then spread it to their adult family members. That's something that we don't want at all mm -hmm. as well. So I'm super... I, for the kids to wear masks, I'm not, I'm not a great, I, I'm not a strong proponent on that. Because oh, there's a lot of research showing masks are even dangerous and don't it can help, be. really. Although when I, I was out, sure, I'll wear a mask. If I'm going into my, the grocery store, I'll wear gloves and masks. I will definitely do all that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because, you know, I've got my husband and it's just the two of us now in the, in the house, but I don't want to bring anything in. And I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not out there often, but remember this. In South Korea and other Asian countries that are really were strict, and I don't know about Germany. I mean, like over in England um, and in Italy, their rate of death is like 14, 15%. That's super high. Everyone who got it, you know, 14, 15% is a very high rate of, of death. So depending on where, where you are, um, I don't know how well they, they wore masks. When I went to Korea a few years ago, um, three, three years ago, is that right? Two years ago, what am I saying? Two years ago, um, getting, getting this, all the science and the research uh, in Korea regarding my book, I saw a lot of people wearing masks. It's mm -hmm. just a normal thing. Asians have always been good about that. Yeah, we, they, may, they wear it because they know what's happened in the past with the mm -hmm. first corona um, mm -hmm. impact that they've gone through. So I don't know, I, I, masks are a touchy thing, but I do know that they do 
They can block the actual amount that you can be spreading and mm -hmm. what can come on you. So, mm -hmm. Well, what I would like to say for kids, sending kids back to school, I want to tell you a story about a man named Bob Spots, and he had a goat dairy and fermented, I don't know if you saw in business, but he and his wife literally made award-winning yogurt and kefir. And not too far away from them, there was a school, the children were, um, you know, had learning disabilities and they were always sick. And the teachers were always sick because the kids were always bringing things into them and they all the time were sick. So one year they, um, decided to, or found out that the, um, they started drinking kefir before they would come to school in the morning and they offered, they had kefir at school for the kids and all. Well, that year, not a single teaser ever got sick. And mm. Bob told me that story and I, a long time ago. And I remember, never forgot that. So if your child is good with dairy and, you know, it's dairy's best if you ferment it, then send them out the door with a delicious maybe smoothie or a glass, just a glass of fermented kefir um, or, you know, yogurt or something. I, I like kefir because you can get, um, you can make it with our kefir starter, for example, just it's super easy to make, but it's like making Kool-Aid and you've got it sit for 24 hours and there it is, it's kefir, but it's loaded with beneficial bacteria, a little bit of healthy yeast, which you want, and you can make it at home. They can make it at home even, and then you can uh, chill it and then, send it you know, out the door with drink it on the way to school even. But um, again, you're building their immune system. So, and then put fermented foods into the diet because um, you know, they're just, they're gonna build that immune system. And so if a child goes off to school with a strong immune system, his chances of ever contacting it or becoming a carrier are almost nil. Uh, so that's really the way to protect your child, not masks or washing your hands. I mean, kids don't wash their hands. and especially at school. But also I wanted to say, you know, going back to what we said in the beginning, nature does vaccinate us in the beginning of life by putting this inner ecosystem into place. And that's what you want to keep doing, you know, that you only um, have that short period in your life where you're uh, being exposed to the good, healthy bacteria in the birth canal and then the breast milk is helping to grow that out with those sugars, uh, feeding that bacteria. And that's, but for the rest of our life, we have to grow and maintain a healthy inner ecosystem by eating these fermented foods that Suzanne and I have been talking about all for so long here. So nature vaccinates us and then, you know, she gives, nature gives us these fermented foods to eat throughout our entire life. I did want to mention one important thing because I don't get a chance to reach people again, but, um, you know, the Gates Foundation has um, invested $350 million for uh, developing a vaccine for this one virus. Well, guess what? When this is over, there'll be other viruses. They always come. So we can't just wait for a vaccine and think, okay, since the vaccine's here, we're safe. We're not. So we have to think beyond vaccinations. And if you are somewhere where you're forced to be vaccinated, or you have to choose vaccination, or you want to be vaccinated, it's all about having a strong immune system. Vaccinations were designed for people with strong immune systems. They got one virus injected into them and their immune system had to be strong enough to fight back and build antibodies to that virus. So again, it's all about the immune system. And you can eat, uh, take fermented, uh, like bifidus, like I, I always take bifidus, usually about five capsules a day because they're really, really good for 
for, for example, constipation and keeping you regular. Uh, they do so many things, they uh, produce GABA, so people feel calmer and have, again, you know, less anxiety. But, um, so I do take bifidus, but I just can't stress enough the importance of, of adding these fermented foods to your diet. And so I wanna thank my good friend, Suzanne Bennett, and all the things she's added. Highly recommend you buy her book. Um, I've given, it's a great gift, by the way. I, I'm giving them out all the time and I give away my recipe book. But um, we have lots of recipes on our website, which is bodyecology.com. And Suzanne, how can they reach you? They can go to my website, drsuzanne.com. And uh, that's with an S, not a Z, drsuzanne.com. And, um, you know, actually, I, on my website, you can get a, um, a free download. It's right on the front homepage. It'll pop up to you. And my, my cucumber kimchi is right there. I give a free recipe there. Great. Yeah. Well, but thank you, you wanna, everybody. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank Suzanne, you. If you want to dig deeper and, and, of course, be able to really watch. A lot of people are, love to watch videos. I have a lot of videos to help you, you know, walk you through exactly what to do. And it's so much fun. And you'll really enjoy. And this is one thing that you can do for the rest of your life with your family members. It's very, very easy. And don't feel that it's like a chemistry lab. You'll, once you do it once, it's so easy. And it's fun. It's fun to do. And the, the benefits are far greater than, you know, how long it takes and the, the things that you got to do for it. It's really the benefits is what you're going to love. Absolutely love. So learn to make kimchi and learn to make our fermented vegetables. We also have a course on that. And um, build that immune system thank and don't you. be so worried about succumbing to the virus. So thank, thank you, you very much. Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you so much. Love it. I, I enjoyed it 100%. It's always so much fun talking to you about ferments and just, you know, you're a wealth of information. I really, really appreciate us sharing and collaborating here. You too. Thank you.